0: to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise
1: their commercial programs and achieve best practice. Activations. Well, just like data and measurement, activations is a topic that comes up in sponsorship discussions a lot physical activations, the ones designed to engage with audiences can absolutely drive massive return on investment and objective when executed well. Those well-executed activations are the ones that bring us closer to a brand or compel us to share on social media, even if we haven't seen the activation in person. They border, well, they probably just cross over into entertainment and that's really powerful for engagement and resonating. But on the other hand, we've all seen activations that appear to have just been thrown into a contract, probably because there was some unused space in a precinct and audience are greeted trying to get to their match or event with bored-looking staff wearing corporate polos, standing outside a drab-looking white tent, handing out flyers and stress balls and stickers, probably because the rights holder rang the sponsor a fortnight before and asked, so what are you doing for the activation for the event? Hell, I heard a story once about a rights holder ringing a sponsor exactly like that and asking what they had planned for the activation, only to be told by the brand, the sponsor. Um, Well, we didn't really know what an activation was. You seemed really keen for us to have one in our sponsorship. So we just said yes, and we just kind of thought that you took care of that for us. Outrageous, but lucky for you, listeners, a man who has planned and executed some amazing activations is Rick Conti from Make. And Make is an experiential agency who have been creating engaging experiences with iconic Australian and global brands for over a decade. And some of those brands include Heineken, Jack Daniels, Forex Gold, James Squire, and Lavata. And Rick joins us later on in the show to take us inside what makes great physical activations. I'm Daniel Oyston. And welcome to episode 70 of Inside Sponsorship. It's great to have you listening to the show and no doubt two people who are definitely listening are Nate Black and Philippe Demiseau, who both got in contact to say hi. Nate Black is the Partnership Activation Coordinator for the Tampa Bay Lightning and he wrote, I'm a big fan of the Inside Sponsorship podcast. I started at the beginning and I'm about halfway through 2016. I found the content engaging and applicable. That is one thing I love about this show and what we do here on it, and that's creating content that is relevant to you years later. So no doubt, Nate, you're going to love this episode on activations, and thanks for getting in touch. It's awesome that you love the show. And Philippe Demizieu connected with me on LinkedIn and said, I'm frequently listening to sponsored podcasts. You guys are doing a great job, and I particularly love the one about sponsorship and storytelling. It was really insightful. And when I wrote back to him and told him, give him a shout out on the show he said that that was really cool but also really unexpected so thanks for getting in touch philip great to hear from you and for everyone else if you get in touch you can get a shout out as well and just feel that little bit more special about your day in all seriousness though it is super cool to hear from you and learn more about what you're up to and where you are working etc so please don't be shy get in touch it'd be great to hear from you Also joining us on the show to discuss his latest blog is Daniel Ferguson-Hill, Core Software's Commercial Manager for Australasia, who has been talking to lots of brands lately. And there seems to be four things that just keep coming up that brands wish rights holders knew about activations. Here's Daniel. Daniel Ferguson-Hill, welcome back to the show. You've just been to Magic Round. It's a concept that's been run in the UK for a few years, first time in Australia, but for those not in the UK, not in Australia, or not even across what Rugby League is, what's Magic Round all about?
2: That's a really good question, and as a diehard Rugby League fan, I should be able to nail this. So, it's bringing all eight games over a weekend into one stadium over a couple of different days. So, rather than playing at different stadiums across the country it's all under one roof so really big spectacle for all fans of all clubs it was to be honest it was a really good weekend
1: well there was a lot of hype about it in the media and and it was great to watch games being played across i think we played them across four days so thursday to sunday but what did impress you most about magic round
2: to be honest, we uh, Sam Irvine and I had the luxury of sitting uh, in the hammock section, that, which was uh, an activation from Bundaberg run, and sitting watching a game of footy with a, a burger, a drink in a hammock, swinging away with a nice breeze was just magic. It was it was it was a great way to watch footy.
1: Working for Core and sponsors, not all demos and plane travel, <laughs> is it?
2: No, someone's got to do it.
1: <laughs> now your latest blog focuses on activations and as you mentioned there was some great ones at, at magic round and no doubt lots of other activations around it and to execute a great activation it takes a lot of planning and some not just a lot of planning but some good planning your latest blog focuses on four things brands want you to know about activations you being a rights holder so they would love rights holders to know these four things how did this blog come about
2: We've been turning to a few brands over the last few months, and, and it's in you know Asia Pacific, the UK, the US. And the more we do on the brand space, the more we just keep coming back to activations. You know, we, we've spoken on the podcast about you know different assets that are trending and others that are dying, and activation seems to be playing in that middle, just waiting for someone to grab it and run with it. And you know, we, we wanted to ask the sides of the that negotiation or that conversation to say okay well what's the good what's the bad and and what's in between so you know a quick question for listeners have you ever been planning out an activation and thought yep would have loved to have known that a little bit earlier and chances are if you just said yes and, and had a little chuckle to yourself you're actually not alone
1: that's not just activations that's just like my life every day (laughs)
2: <laughs> I won't tell you why it's that. And, and look, I know we can sound like a broken record sometimes on the podcast, but sponsorship in today's market can be such a complex beast that, as you said, the, the planning and the execution side of what we do often needs to be incredibly detailed to, to, to ensure success. And, and sometimes certain things can get overlooked or, or totally forgotten about. So, you know, as we said over the past few months, we've been chatting to a lot of brands around, specifically about sponsorship activations and yes super cool for us to do globally but we kept hearing some pretty common things that they just wish rights was knew and it was almost as if we would say well why don't you just tell them so you know to, to play our part in sort of bridging this occasional gap um we sort of put pen to paper and went okay what are we what are we seeing what are we hearing
1: excellent so let's kick off with the first one what's the first thing that brands want rights holders to know around activations?
2: It's Probably the most important, and it's going to sound cheesy, but don't don't take it that way, but it's understand our objectives and success metrics. Um, So speaking loosely, a brand's objectives should be guiding you on how to structure their sponsorship deal and whether you need to include activations or not. So the activations as an asset support engagement-based objectives because their primary purpose is to connect or create a connection uh, with an audience that the brand might not otherwise have access to or or easy access to. If you hear objectives like brand awareness, building an audience, lead generation, or perhaps even sales opportunities, your activation's light bulb should be going off immediately. But don't stop there. So each activation needs its own set of unique objectives that are custom to that specific experience, event, or, or period of time. We can't just throw in a generic blanket over the top and hope for the best. Instead, we need to go a step further and build in a number of success metrics behind each objective. And, and with that said, we get it. Sometimes it can be pretty hard to truly uncover what the brand really wants to achieve with the activations. So in those cases, you'll need to use some calibrated questions like, how does this fit into your, book?" sorry, how does this fit into what your overall objectives are? What happens if people don't engage with you? Or even, what are we trying to achieve here? So, you know, understanding these unique objectives and and marrying them with the right success metrics will really allow you to just breeze through the other phases of planning and execution.
1: And understanding the objectives and success metrics nearly always these days is going to be based on data. So that's a nice segue into your number two, isn't it?
2: (laughs) That was very good. Well played. Absolutely right. It's Number two was use more data. So something that we've learned a considerable amount about in the past few months is the underestimated significance for our holders are placing on data at the moment when building out or executing activations for their sponsors. Don't mistake me, there's some really, really impressive activations and, and measurement activities going on at the moment. What I'm saying is the average far outweigh the good. And that's purely what we're hearing from brands around the world. So Yes, those guys are actually responsible for the execution of their activation. However, rights holders need to play a bigger role in bringing data to the table to help bring it to life. So if you're wondering, okay, what do we focus on? Data's a bit of a buzzword at the moment. Look at audience and measurement first. So audiences like Danny and Tyrion from Game of Thrones, you think ruler in hand, and yes, that's an extremely timely analogy, Uh, but... Focusing on these two things or, or these two pieces of information will allow you to direct the planning and strategy, while also ensuring clear execution because it it helps keep track of keeps helps keep track of who we're targeting, how we're targeting them, how we're going to measure the outcome success. So now that I've just said that, any other Game of Thrones fans who watched yesterday's episode will know that that goes completely against what I've just said. Um, but you know, note that this brings a level of accountability for both the brand and the rights holder. So, you know, if we, if we look at audience first, try and break down at least two to three key avatars that you and the brand share mutually. Collect as much info as you can about these avatars. And I'm talking age, family situation, spending habits, location, occupation, you know, get creative around this. Just, this is going to help both of you shape what, when, and where the activation can take place. And the second part of that measurement. So you know, as, as mentioned just before, be sure to set some really clear and concise objectives for each activation. Work out what success actually looks like and document it. It's important to be honest uh, about the outcomes. If it's good, great. If it's bad, don't
1: cover it up. So we understand the brand's objectives and success metrics and we've used data really well. Do the brands just turn around and then say, Cool, just give us that white marquee out the front.
2: (laughs) Again, you're absolutely nailing these uh, segues into each point. So, number three was we don't just want the white marquee out the front. uh, (laughs) Apologies in advance to all the companies who actually manufacture these. However, please stop making activations that, you know, the square white tent out the front of an event or a stadium. We see so many well sought out, creative, engaging activations happening all around the world. And then we see that white tent with some cheesy signage, some casual stuff, and a a sign-up form on an iPad that people just screen and walk past. Activations in today's industry are more like branded engagement experiences. The best activations we see are often those where a brand is able to fully immerse itself into the rights holder for a specific period of time or at the event. And yeah, you know, to be honest, good activations don't have to break the bank. Um, they most certainly don't have to be something physical. Whilst you know, an on-site interaction, PR or hospitality, and even direct marketing are really popular choices in activation spend. Ninety-eight percent of sponsorship professionals will also use digital or social media as an activation or a leverage method. And reason being is is digital often provides a cost-effective solution to building out anything too grand or labour-intensive. So. You know, think snapchat lenses like facebook competitions or perhaps even a post event campaign
1: so the first one was understand our objectives and success metrics and we've then secondly used more data to to help shape it we've sidestepped the boring old white marquee (laughs) and we're off to the races with another activation is a rights holders job done then and they're just pointing them in the right direction we've covered off those three things good luck
2: no, and, and look, the, the fourth point that we're, we're about to chat about is probably the most important, and this is what kept coming up with every brand. And every brand you speak to, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, it's the planning versus execution. So once this brand signs off on a deal, they've got to justify and do everything internally as well. They want rights holders to help them with this battle. This is where too many rights holders at the moment leave the table and leave the brand completely stranded activations need to fit into the overall sponsorship strategy and, and often require the rights holder or, or their input for it to be successful. So yes, sponsorship managers can serve us adequately and occasionally throw out ideas on some butcher's paper on what to do. However, it's how they're able to turn those ideas into reality that matters the most. So if you're in a WIP meeting, don't stand there and jot things on a whiteboard or You know, say, what do you want to do? Actually start breaking things down with them. Planning is all about building a roadmap from concept creation to execution. That's why a lot of agencies are involved with sort of brands, activation spend, and sort of their broader strategy. Book out a meeting room, go and grab some coffee, and start to flesh out things like logistics, budget, infrastructure, people, just general feasibility. A brand may leave a rights holder if all they're doing is planning. They are never ever going to leave you if you're able to plant and then execute well as well
1: daniel ferguson hill thanks for chatting because rumor has it you're still in that Bundaberg hammock up at magic ground despite <laughs> it finishing about three days ago so well done for sounding coherent throughout but any plans to leave the hammock and do some some travel that people should know about if they want to catch up with you
2: Yeah, we're actually a bit of a personal announcement that we're actually making the move from Sydney to Melbourne next week, actually. So anyone who is in Melbourne and opens for lunch or coffee, uh, it'll be great to to pick your brain on how I can survive all four seasons in one day.
1: Outstanding. And listeners, if you want to read through Daniel's advice in slow time, just head along to the blog at coresoftware.com where you'll find all the details. Safe travels. Thanks, mate. Creating a brand experience is one of the most powerful ways to connect and engage with potential customers and even existing customers just to reinforce that brand engagement. Brands who consistently deliver these positive experiences to fans, event goers, and customers will benefit immensely. Make is an experiential agency who have been creating engaging experiences with iconic Australian and global brands for over a decade, and some of those brands include Heineken, Jack Daniels, Forex Gold, James Squire, and Lavata. And a key to their success is being able to identify what makes audiences tick, where their passion points are, and what is actually relevant to them. They believe for brands executing physical activations, it's more than what you say, it's how you make people feel. Rick Conti is a co-founder and the managing director at Make, and he joins us now on the show to take us inside physical activations. Here's Rick. Rick, welcome to the show. We are going to talk about activating sponsorships and we always start the podcast with a fun icebreaker question. So yours is, and I know this is going to be a tough one, but if Rick Conti was a brand and let's say that brand wanted to engage the market and get them to know the Rick Conti story and brand a bit better, what rights holder, and it can be any rights holder in the world, would you pick the sponsor and what assets are you going to ask them for so that you can use them and how would you use them to activate.
0: The Rick Conti brand would be a uh, probably be a coffee brand, to be honest. And I'd target it at musicians with uh, with my kind of audio background. The angle would be how coffee helps you be more creative. So I'd uh, I'd go out, try and sponsor as many global music festivals as possible. Kind of obtain the rights to activate and um, as much IP as I could get, and set up a mobile studio at each of those uh, events, and then run a national songwriting co- competition, which is streamed live. So. I thought, I thought that's right up my alley.
1: Excellent. That's an outstanding answer. That sounds like it would be a great activation, but let's talk about a real one. What is an activation that you've seen somebody else execute that has really impressed you? Uh,
0: yeah, probably a little bit biased to this one, but the, um, the 4X Gold Retreat, which I, I played a small part of uh, bringing to life back in the heyday, the uh, 4X Gold sponsorship with the V8 supercars. So, yeah. Um, they invested quite heavily in this multi-level B-double semi-trailer pub, which kind of followed the uh, the V8 supercars around Australia. And um, it was just this phenomenal physical footprint that um, pretty much just wowed V8 fans. So I think that one would have to be right up there with the physical activations that I've seen live. Um, I actually snuck back into a V8 round a couple of years after and um, done a little bit of vox pop, a little bit of research for a pitch um, an agency was working on. And... It was roughly 20% of the answers I got. I think it was, what's your favorite part of the V8 supercars? And um, 20% of the answers was the 4X goal retreat. So I was pretty gobsmacked, to be honest.
1: And it's probably something that goes into making a great activation that it has such an impression on people and people still talk about it long after it's actually happened.
0: That's right. And it really did. It really left a, a solid imprint on on these fans. So, um, yeah, it was really good to see.
1: Now, you... are. Uh a co-founder and managing director at Make, which is coming up on its fifth birthday, I believe. Tell us about Make and why you decided to start an agency.
0: So Make, first and foremost, is a brand experience agency. And what we really specialize in is connecting brands with audiences through the power of brand activation. So a large part of that is sponsorship activation and a big part of our client base, FMCG Brands although we do do quite a lot of work with them um, outside of that category as well. We really focus on trying to help brands maximize their sponsorship investment uh, through leverage because obviously the better the brands do through those sponsorship investments, the more work we get. So from a capability and service standpoint, we originally started a business it was quite heavily focused on the execution side of things, so uh, a lot of project management and, and event management and stuff like that, and we kind of realised early on that to provide end-to-end services for our clients, we really needed to develop out the strategic and creative design services. So currently um, I feel like we're quite specialised in that area from an activation vertical. Our creative design side of things is very strong, and then obviously from an execution standpoint we still um provide some end-to-end services around event management and project management, things like that. We also, which was quite unique to our business, had an in-house manufacturing arm, which a lot of agencies don't. So we spun that off last July, actually, and now that's uh, been rebranded to the Build Lab. So uh, it's pretty much a a specialised design and fabrication facility that creates all the activation assets that we generally pitch in. So it it produces, you know, shipping container bars. um, It's got its own large format printers and things like that. So we've really tried to design this little creative production house that can um, bring all these projects to life because generally we struggle with the lead times and budgets and things like that. So so it's really helped us in that sense. So, So that's a bit about the business. Why I decided to start an agency. I originally started out as a sound engineer back in my early 20s. I've always had a passion for entertainment and events. I did think I was going to be a record producer. I um, thought, thought I was going to be Pharrell Williams or someone like that, but um, unfortunately it didn't pan out. So um, so I, I ran a small sound and lighting company for a number of years and um, my partner at the time, who's now my fiancé, um, picked up a dance contract with Forex Gold as one of their ambassadors and um, the tour manager at the time, who's now my business partner, put me forward for an uh, experiential tour manager role. So I ended up picking that up had this dream job of driving a modified 1974 combi van around the country for three years with this pop-up roof and you know sound and lighting equipment and everything else so so my role was very much around kind of booking the DJs uh, handling the promotional staff kind of liaising with the venues and things like that so so my background was very much um, in the trenches and you know hands dirty and kind of learning a re- like about the world of uh, brand activations from a from a hands-on point of view made a lot of good connections in the industry did that for a few years picked up some other contracts that was all through octagon at the time and then post that i think the timing worked out really well with my business partner damien Digiovanni. he come off a contract with octagon and we um i approached him and somehow twisted his arm and talked him into uh starting an agency with me so so we kicked that off nearly five years ago and, and secured lion the queensland sponsorship and events team they retained his first year out and we pretty much help them activate on a weekly basis through their community partnerships all the way through to their state level partnerships. So um, that pretty much funded the business in the early days and and that was how it was, all came about.
1: It's not a bad start picking up a, a client like that, but in a short period of time, you have built an impressive list of brands that you've worked with. Can you outline some more of them for us and maybe tell us a little bit about just a few of them, what you execute for them?
0: Yeah, definitely. So our, our current client base, like I mentioned, we, we still do a lot of work with Lion and their portfolios. So quite heavily involved with Heineken, Furphy, 4X Gold, Iron Jack, Kieran, 4X Summer, and the rest of them. Same thing with TWE, uh, Treasury Wines Estate. So we, we activate uh, through their portfolio with uh, Seppel, Ativo, Wolf Blast, uh, St. Hubert's, The Stag, 19 Crimes. And then we've also worked with other brands outside that category, such as Izuza um, Ute there was a cross river rail authority up here in Queensland and a few others like that. So I suppose from a lion perspective, some of the ones that kind of stand out say would be the veranda. I don't know if you've seen that one up here at the Gabba for the Brisbane lions. We installed that for the second year round. So that was a partnership between Heineken, Brisbane lions and Hyundai were involved as well. So it was a bit of a uh, three way activation there, which was great. So pretty much the Lions wanted to build a pretty much an awesome viewing deck kind of like a VIP viewing deck best seats in house style activation but it was ticketed so from a scope perspective they come to us with a a pretty pretty stock standard brief we turn that into some conceptual 3D drawings and then kind of saw that project all the way through from project management Uh, the build lab handled all the production and the installation and everything else and then we have a minor role in, in activating that each week with some hosts and promotional staff and things like that. So so that one's been quite a standout for us. I think it was partially funded through the AFL as well, which is great. So um, they, they're pretty happy to see that one come, come around again for a second year. And then, like I mentioned, we're quite heavily involved with the uh, Lion Queensland sponsorship and events team up here. So we pretty much work across their whole portfolio of, of partnerships. So, Everything from the Gold Coast Titans to the Brisbane Racing Club, Gold Coast Turf Club, Hamilton Island Race Week. What else is there? Yeah, Brisbane Lions, Broncos, things like that, and all the way through to the pinnacle events of, say, the the State of Origin. So a big one we do around the State of Origin is for 12 hours, once a year they'll shut the 4X brewery down. We'll clear out the keg room and set it up for a VIP two-and-a-half-hour pre-game experience and turn the keg room into a... um, Pretty much uh invite only it's for their key customers and things like that but a, it's just a large large scale activation for their for their customers really so um but it's this money can't buy experience which is which is fantastic to um to do each year so I think we've got that one coming up again this year. So from a scope perspective once again it's uh, a bit of strategy at the the front end the creative direction design full event management, staffing, production of assets. And a big one, obviously, working in the brewery is uh, the risk management, so a lot of risk mitigation there. So making sure no one gets run over by a forklift or a wall of kegs doesn't come crashing down, so touch wood.
1: I'm wondering whether one of the biggest risks of running an event there is making sure that everybody actually leaves on time. Now, Rick, from your work so far, is it the deck, is it the V8, Forex Supercars Retreat, or is it that VIP room? Which one of those are you most proud of? Or is it is it another one you can throw out there?
0: From running businesses since I was quite young, I think I think make as a whole is probably there there was no particular event that I could or activation that I could really think of, but I think just the business as a whole, as you mentioned, you know, we're five years old now and just being able to build a team that can work autonomously and bring to life activations for not only like nationally recognised but globally recognised brands at some of Australia's largest events is um, probably what makes me proudest. So well, I think that's a really big one for me.
1: Now, activations have come a long way from the single white box marquee outside an event like a stadium. We now see activations taking place across digital, TV, during an event and sometimes, well, quite often actually even separate to the actual running of the event where do you think the industry sits on the the spectrum in terms of at one end sponsorship assets being activated in isolation or even siloed pieces and at the other end of the spectrum fully integrated multi-channel activations where's the industry sit at the moment do you think
0: i think it's still quite broad in terms of um, where the industry actually sits i think at one end there's a number of brands that are doing it really well this probably comes down to, to budget and capacity and resources and things like that. And then there's probably some brands that are, you know, potentially entering the sponsorship space or probably just just getting their, their feet wet when it comes to activating and probably not as well versed in in how to leverage leverage those activations as well. So I think it's quite broad at the moment. But in terms of where I think it should sit, every opportunity to to leverage that partnership through every channel at your disposal, I think is is what best practice should be. I think today with the activation and isolation is just it's just not best practice for today's interconnected society. I think, you know, as we know with the data that comes out of research reports each year that um, you know, fans are residing across multiple platforms at multiple times and, and the whole omni channel approach is, is really the way forward for brands. Um, you know, we, we see online retailers moving offline and and vice versa. So I think I think it really do need to be everywhere and I think that's when you're really going to see the best results from your activation is when you can engage with that consumer or the fans across multiple channels at the same time to really really nail your message across and get a result from that activation. I think perception is reality. We had a discussion around this the other day. So, you know, strategic investment into certain channels to really achieve that bigger than you really are kind of perception is um is quite important as well. So.
1: I was going to ask if activations are more successful when a brand uses an agency, but I think you might be a bit biased there uh, if we consider budget. But instead, if we consider a rights holder and a brand sitting down to talk activation, what gaps do you see that an agency fills in that process or that situation?
0: Yeah, I think it's a little bit subjective to um, a couple of criteria there. So, such as the brands in-house skill set, size of their team, uh, the size of the activation or campaign they're looking to roll out. For example, I don't think any brand team would be insane enough to, you know, invest multi- like millions of dollars into a tier one activation without any support. So, some of the holes I think an agency really fills is uh, first one off the, the cap off the rank is risk mitigation. Um, so not only from a oh point of view, like obviously there's a lot of things that can go wrong in the in the physical world, and when you're you're setting up some of these activations with unique infrastructure that potentially has never been used before, um, there's quite a bit of risk around that. So, so I think the right skill set, um, the right knowledge and know how how to how to activate those assets is quite key. The legal perspective around terms and conditions and competitions and waivers and things like that, uh, I think is another big one. But I think the biggest one is, is the activation success. So what, what's the risk? What is the risk level of, of the activation not going up, uh, not being executed properly and, and actually being successful? So how does that affect brand perception? You know, if, if, if it was worst-case scenario, would that affect sales and would there be negative press? And I just think an, uh, an agency will really help you really increase the probability of meeting your objectives. So I think there's probably outside perspective is a big one specialist skill sets. So not every brand marketing team would come from the same background. So um, it's very rare that you, you might have a, a marketing team with somebody who's quite well versed in brand activations. And then I think another big one would be savings throughout the entire program. So a lot of value that we bring to our clients is being able to kind of have the foresight to have a look at the program and then the logistical planning side of things, identify where Potential savings might be so we can put some money back in the pocket of the brands, which is always good. And then obviously with that comes a network of trusted vendors, third-party suppliers, things like that. So we can undertake proper feasibilities. And then probably the last one that I've got here is capacity. Capacity is a huge one. You know, do do you actually have the time? Does your team actually have the time to fit to fit that in outside of all the other marketing activities you've got to do on a daily basis? So.
1: Now, if you had a checklist of things or elements that make a sponsorship activation good what's on it what's on that list
0: in no particular order i think simplicity is a is a big one so making sure that it's not so complex that it scares fans away so not overdoing technology don't make it hard for them to engage with you you know for example sign up forms like i think of all being presented with a sign up form which has got uh, 10 fields there and you end up walking away after the first one so just kind of removing the barriers to engagement i think is a big one second one would be clarity. Is it clear on how to engage with you? Is your messaging clear? Have your promotional staff been briefed properly? Are they communicating clearly? Are they getting the message across or are you just getting lost in the noise? And then also having a clear call to action, so making it easy for fans to actually know what to do and how to participate in your activation. next one would be, which is pretty cliche with the whole value-adding, um, are you actually adding to the fan experience shoving a flyer in somebody's face is maybe not so much so just making sure it's i think it's just a quick stock take to really put yourself in the in your target fans uh shoes and and have a think about their journey into it might be a stadium or the venue or whatever it might be and really trying to understand are you adding to their experience or are you potentially taking away I've got a few others there, such as, you know, brand narrative. Have you interwoven your your brand story throughout your activations to some extent? Are you rewarding or enticing fans to engage with you? And what will they get in return if they, if they do? A big one is differentiation. So really understanding what other sponsor activities might be happening in that particular precinct uh, where you're located, whether it be on the field or digital activations on the big screen, or whatever else it may be, but just really understanding what else is going on and, and making sure you've got some point of differentiation there. You know, we've all been to the footy and seen four pass the ball games in the same twenty meter kind of area. So, um, so yeah, I think that's a big one.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. I'd never considered that. That looking at other activations around you not only makes you stand out, but may even just attract more people to your activation.
0: That's it. You, you don't want to have to compete. Like I mentioned with the pass the ball game, like you know, the better pass the ball game is going to win, or the one with the the most signage and the most dressed up site. So you don't want to have to compete on that level. You you want some form of differentiation there. So, and it's not always easy to get that information off the rights holders either, because a lot of these activations, as we know, do come to light last minute a lot of the time. So, so they they probably don't know as much as as much as you want to know. So um, but anyway, one to consider. Shareworthy. um, Making sure that you know what what you're actually doing is shareworthy alignment is the activation relevant to the property and the fan passions once again you know doing an afl pass the ball game at a rugby league game is not going to work so just little things that, that you could potentially tweak to make sure the activation uh, really rings true to those fans and those passion points and then amplification can you push this out across multiple channels is there a strategy for that and then outcomes i think just clearly to find outcomes i know you guys talk a lot about it on this show and um, clearly to find outcomes is a massive one. So-
1: I love that point about the shareability because the point you made a couple after that was around amplification. And if you can engage people well enough and and get them to share your activation and their experiences around that activation through their own channels, then that really does help amplify without you having to actually try and amplify it yourself across other channels that you have control and access to. But Rick, Conversely, if you consider activations that haven't been executed well, whether they're ones that maybe, I know they're probably few and far between, ones that maybe you haven't executed well yourself or that you've seen others out there that they just haven't hit the mark, what are some of the things that you see those reasons that they aren't good?
0: Yeah, so I think some of the reasons why these activations haven't hit the mark um, really come down to... uh, the opposite of what I outlined above so some of those points from a for example shareworthy you know was the activation it kind of kind of marries into the value adding like was it adding enough value that it was actually shareworthy just things like that so you know really understanding what the cost per engagement is if you're not getting any further amplification online just things like that which are probably over and above I think the outcomes one is a, is a really big one. So really not having the clearly defined outcomes, which is a conversation we have quite a lot with brands. And sometimes it's the activation is just the result of the partnership. So there mightn't be too much strategy involved with bringing it to life. It may just be generic brand awareness. So um, so they become quite bland when when there's no real strategy behind that. So it's always quite hard to execute. So yeah, so there's probably, without recapping back through all the points, um, it, it really is probably the opposite of what was outlined up there.
1: Let's say we have a sponsorship manager wanting to create an activation for a sponsor, a brand. What are those core basics that they need to address first? Does it really start with objectives or is there something that comes before that?
0: I think it really depends on the stage of the partnership or the relationship. So how well they actually know each other. But for some of the core basics, um, you know, the fundamentals for me would be really understanding the brand, you know, so the brand story, the core values, history of the brand, and then diving a little bit deeper into potentially what have been some of their past sponsorships, their past sponsorship activations, what are their current above-the-line activities, what ambassadors do they utilise, anything to really give you some insight as to how, where, and when they talk to their audience. So at least if you're going to present an idea that that potentially might be a little bit left field, at least you understand where their current baseline is and you can justify why your idea or ideas might be sitting outside of that. So I think that's probably probably the core fundamentals there. And then diving into obviously their objectives, you know, if it's a little bit further on in the relationship, obviously um, you probably have some insights around those. So, So really shaping out an activation based around those objectives would be paramount. another big one would be probably really identifying their target audience, but identifying how they interact and engage with your brand and where they predominantly reside. Is it online or offline from an engagement perspective? So, for example, if it's a brand trying to target younger demographics, you're probably better off suited to trying to put forward a digital activation or something that's um, across multiple channels as opposed to an isolated activation in the precinct and then budget. If you know how much money they've got to spend, that's always great. So,
1: I found it interesting that you spoke about understanding the core values of the brand. We know that that best practice is when we're trying to secure a new sponsor to spend a lot of time doing that research and understanding the core values of the brand and, and a lot of those things that you spoke about. So in that situation, I would imagine a lot of people are sitting down and validating what they already know, maybe checking in that it's still correct From your perspective, if I gave you a brand that you didn't really know that well yourself and said, okay, I want you to go away and research and understand the the core values of the brand, how do you do that?
0: With That historic data is probably where I'd start. So so really having a look at the way they've put themselves out to market over the last 10 years would be, um, if they're that old, would be a great place to start and just try to kind of come up with your own interpretation of that messaging I think would really help because obviously it's not it's not something where you ever go to a brand manager and say hey can you tell us your core values your brand or anything like that so generally if you if you have been lucky enough to receive a brief and, and there's some all all the brand identity and things like that then obviously that's a it's also a great place to start so maybe even just requesting some internal documentation around that if the relationship already exists would be fantastic
1: we know what is on the checklist for good activation. We know a few things to avoid, and we know the core basics. What are some of the biggest challenges you found when building and executing an activation? Moving forward from those things,
0: lead times and budget—I have to start with those, especially from an execution standpoint. So, small budget, high expectations is always a challenge. I don't know if you've seen the project management triangle where it's got quality time and cost and, you know, it's always a trade off between one, or, one of the three. So, so always dealing with that, I think, I think is a big one. Just, just managing um, client expectations around that stuff. Managing third party contractors is another one. So obviously we deal with a lot of freight companies, a lot of production companies in the, you know, signage or, um, or other element elements, sorry, uh, like merchandising and things like that. So, so really trying to control, you know, the critical factors around delivery um, is quite hard. So, we, you know, we've seen quite a lot of freight companies not turn up on time or we were doing some V8 activations for Unibet at one point and we had this whole activation packed into a box and it just didn't turn up. So so just those kind of things, are just, they're just outside of your control and there's not much you can do other than put a couple of little contingencies in place. But And then other than that, just other things like the weather, um, it's always a tough one. And then probably just scope of work. So really being clear with the client in the early days around who's responsible for what and just make sure that that's, that's very clear so then everything rocks up on time at the event and um, everyone knows what they're doing.
1: You've spoken about lead times a few times throughout this chat. It sounds as though it's something that that probably keeps you and the team up at night a little bit. How does the planning start for building and executing and activation? Should brands be engaging you when decisions on sponsorships are already made? Should they be doing it before assets or rights are even agreed? Or are you there from the start and advising with the knowledge of their objectives and budgets?
0: In an ideal world, we would love to be there in the room from the start and and talking strategy around what their plans are and what they're trying to achieve. But unfortunately, that's not always the case for example with TWE and Lion, they're they're very heavily resourced. They've got great commercial teams, um, you know, fantastic brand teams and 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 quite an array of um, skilled people in-house that, that can manage that stuff. So from an execute uh, sorry, from an engagement point of view, we'll generally get bought in post-procurement of the sponsorship after everything's been negotiated. So we generally get presented with all right, these are the assets we've got. This is what we'd like to achieve. Here's a couple of creative ideas. Um, now you guys go away and build that out. Come back to us with um, how we can execute based on potentially the this criteria of like this is how long we've got to do it. This is how much money we've got to spend. So, so we can be quite fluid in the way we work just based on who the brand is, their, their in-house skill set, their current capacity, where they sit potentially with that sponsorship and how much experience they have activating. So, yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag to be honest.
1: Data is a hot topic in the sports industry, particularly at the moment. How important is data in your activation planning? And if so, what types of data are generally important when planning an activation? What should be people be paying attention to?
0: It's a tough one. The brands we work with have been around the block a few times. They've, they've, they sponsor multiple platforms. And, you know, they're quite privileged to, to large data and things like that. So they generally procure their sponsorship based off um, a wealth of knowledge there. So we're not always privileged to um, those sources of data when building out the activations. So especially from a physical standpoint, I think the things that that we really look at would be more around the historical data of the property, things like, you know, attendance, footfall, site locations, target market behaviour and any like social metrics and things like that to really build out a physical activation. Obviously in the digital domain, um, you know, there's a wealth of data there that you can you can shape something out around. But I feel like there's quite a gap still from a technology standpoint to really plan out a physical activation quite well.
1: Let's say you have some great ideas for an activation, but the brand that you're working with, they're apprehensive about whether they really want to go down that path with some of those ideas. How, if you are really committed to it, you think they're going to be great, you really want to try and make it happen. How do you sell your vision of those activations to someone?
0: Yeah, it's funny. Our, our team's full of good ideas. Um, obviously, being a a creative workplace, somebody's got a, a fantastic idea every day, but as we know, if, if, if there's no real strategy behind it, 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 it's just art. It's not really, um, it's not really a marketing activity. So, so I think a really well-crafted proposal is fundamental. You know, not just the uh, awesome creative ideas, and you know, we really pride ourselves on the 3D conceptual drawings and things like that, and being able to present a uh, a bit of a realistic view on what an activation might look like. But having that that little bit of science to back it up is is important. So I come up with a bit of a formula around, you know, RO, if you can show clear a clear pathway to RO, ROI, and be able to limit the risk, ultimately we should be able to achieve the business outcome that you're looking for, minus a couple of steps in there. So so I think if you can kind of show that there's a clear path to that meeting those objectives, I think that's really the only way you can. Sell your vision to them if if they know their stuff because um everybody's got good ideas but um it, it's really got to be backed by by a bit of bit of data. So
1: I think that's some some great advice there. Coupled with the the drawings that really crystallise it for somebody to actually see rather than leaving it to them to try and create their own picture in their head, which might not be. The same as yours. Now, the sponsorship industry always harps on, and rightly so, about sponsorships needing to be a relationship with lots of open communication. And we know that sponsorship is just part of the wider marketing mix for a brand. It's not the only marketing they do. However, to what degree do you think brands should be exploring activating their sponsorships away from the actual rights holder? So, for example, through advertising, media or digital platforms that are not actually assets that are owned by the rights holder?
0: I think it's utmost importance. I think it's very critical that brands start to look at it from that perspective. So, we do like even back in 2008, 2009 when we were activating for Forex Gold with those V8 sponsorships, I just remember they – the amount of touch points they had not only at the event, but, you know, they're above the line, all their digital channels, their on-pack promotions, their on-premise and off-premise activations, everything was tied in around that partnership. Obviously, it was quite an investment. But I think that's, you know, they, they literally become the number one selling beer in Australia. And, and from my perspective, it was quite easy to see why because they literally hit their fan base or their target audience um, through a multitude of channels, not only isolated in that platform, all that um, that property, but through their own uh, network and their own channels that um, that they own. So I think it's very important. Um, it's back to that kind of omni-channel approach, I think, which is becoming more prevalent. And just that amplification model, you know, if if you can amplify that partnership, you, you're going to hit a fan base much broader. You know, you can you can tap into, let's just say, a brand's going to sponsor an NRL team, might be here at the Gold Coast Titans. If they can amplify that through if they're a national brand and they can amplify that through their other channels, they can potentially hit NRL fans outside of that. So I I think it's, I think it's very important.
1: Technologies such as augmented and virtual reality are starting to play much more of a role in how we develop and execute activations. Where do brands start? Because it's such a big space. It looks expensive. It looks like it takes a lot of time. It looks like a lot of hard work. So where do brands start if they want to explore introducing either that sort of technology into their sponsorship or not?
0: Suggest so hiring an agency would be a good place to start. I think just just a bit of due diligence. So you know, just generally informing yourself on on the technology you know case studies just researching what's what's been working in the market what's relevant to to your brand or the potential property that you're sponsoring or or at least the target audience and from there potentially identifying those suppliers and, and having a look at what their capabilities are and and what they offer to the market so i think just a bit of a, a general due diligence is, is is very important it's a tough one because it's like i love technology and it, it's such a great one but um you know, if it's done well, it's absolutely amazing. But if it's just off the mark a little bit, it just becomes a flop. And that's the thing. It's like, could those dollars be spent elsewhere if not planned and executed properly? So one that we've seen that's worked quite well is uh, 19 Crimes. We've been um, doing a bit of work with those guys with some off-premise activations, but they build out, I don't know if you've seen the augmented reality app where you walk into the uh, bottle shop and hold it over their label and the label starts talking to you and all this kind of stuff. So they rolled that one out globally, which is unreal, but now we've been able to leverage off that on this recent activation downstream via these off-premise activations. So, you know, we've got a, a pretty cool little uh, setup in the Dan Murphy's and BWS stores um, where they can take their photo and things like that, but we've been able to leverage off that augmented reality um, program getting rolled out. So, so that was a great one, but on the other side of that, we did have a brand that we worked with that came to us fairly late in the piece, um, and they'd already invested in—I think it was oh, around 60 or 70k into this. It was an augmented reality platform, but it was pre-setting objectives and really understanding how they were going to engage with fans and things like that. So, so it was kind of done in reverse. And unfortunately, the technology was a little bit clunky. We had some issues with the execution there was a number of uh, small little issues which added up to the activation not actually being successful. So instead of um, rolling out, you know, this $70,000 capital investment across a number of years, I think it only was activated three times. And um, the other part that they didn't really take into account was the cost to actually activate it at each event. So to, to move that kit around and have the right staff there and potentially problem solve some of those technology issues, um, yeah, it, it really caught up with them and, and unfortunately it did get pulled
1: I think that's some great advice around looking at some of the things other people are doing in that space and and any space, to be honest, and working through those and looking at them, but then really making a decision on whether it's the right thing for you and your activation. Because as you rightly said, if you don't get it right, it can just be a flop. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of an opportunity. But sometimes, and unfortunately, we do see brands getting ridiculed when they don't execute well on things. So I think that's some, some great advice. Rick, at a sporting event, we'll often see millennials, baby boomers, Gen X, whatever other labels we're giving different generations at the moment. We see a wide audience at sporting events. Is it actually possible to create an activation that caters to a wide audience or are brands really better served going going niche or even multiple niches?
0: I feel that either strategy can be... As effective if executed well. Obviously, you have got to have the right creative idea and, and understand your target audience to appeal to them. But it may once again come down to limited budgets and, and, and resources and things like that. Fantastic if you can if you can hit multiple niches with um, in, with multiple different angles and, and different activations, and that's great. But um, if, if you can't afford to do that, then uh, yeah, I think you can cleverly shape an activation that could target a broader audience. Maybe one way to look at it is potentially activating the different assets. So potentially activating digital assets to you know target that youth audience, and potentially a, a more physical or a um, yeah more physical activation in stadium or in the precinct and things like that to target um you know your your baby boomers or your Gen X. So um, but I, I suppose that's where data really comes into play and, and being able to understand off the rights holder where that target audience kind of resides and how they engage with the property. I think is really important. So I think some of the events, um, like, for example, some of the bigger bigger events where they've got kids zones and things like that, um, you know, even the Melbourne Cup with the birdcage, you know, there's there's certain areas within those larger events that you can specifically target a niche audience based on who will be attending those certain areas. So, so yeah, I, I think it can be um, either way can be just as effective.
1: I think the million-dollar question, pardon the pun, is that spending on activations largely comes out of a leverage budget. How do brands know how much to spend on an activation?
0: We've all heard the, the formulas from way back when it was um, one-to-one and things like that, and, and we know that actually doesn't happen. So I think I think Daniel Ferguson-Hill touched on it really well in one of your previous episodes, Um I was talking to my partners about it, you know, promotional-based objectives versus engagement-based objectives. I thought there were some great insights around that. Um, you know, if, if you're looking for brand awareness and adoration and things like that, then more money in the deal, um, I think is what he mentioned, you know, obtain those IP rights and things like that, as opposed to, you know, the engagement-based objectives, more money goes into leveraging it. So um, a recent example would probably be one that does it really well is Heineken at Formula One. Um, you know, it's always great to see you see their brand plastered all over the track, but at the same time, they've, they've got this 50-50 strategy, I, I feel, around um, their fan engagement is really quite strong as well. We helped um, play a small part in bringing to life the uh, Heineken Village there. Um, it was headed up by Momentum, and we managed a couple of container bar assets for the brand team. So, that one to life, but they heavily invest in that fan engagement, but they also heavily invest in um, in the uh, brand awareness and, and alignment and things like that. So, so yeah, I think it once again it's gonna it's gonna come down to objectives and um, really really understanding how you want to weight weight that investment based on those objectives.
1: We're going to do an episode soon on experiential activation. We're going to really focus in and only talk about that rather than broader activations like we're talking with you now. So you have set us up well for that. I'm curious, however, whether you think brands should be looking to create their own experiential activations, you know, along the lines of, of Red Bull and Monster or whether they should still be looking to leverage a rights holders audience still.
0: Yeah, that's a big one. Um I think the number, number one question would be, you know, is it is it really feasible for, for that brand, for where they are in their, I suppose, uh, their journey? What is it they're trying to achieve? Um, obviously, Red Bulls, oh, you just cannot compete with that strategy that is just full on. And we've seen that, you know, if, if done right, it, it works really, really well. The risk factor is obviously huge. The investment's quite big. The resources that you need to put around a campaign or a program like that would just be quite phenomenal. So um, and I I think the other big one would be then obviously competency and capacity. You know, does does the business have the capacity to to do something like that and are they willing to risk putting their brand on the line for a um you know a wholly owned, poorly executed event. So there's there's a few things to consider there. But um and, and obviously, you know, there's a few different ways to do it, either through partnership or you know, wholly owned. But I just don't think it's something you could dabble in. I think it would have to be something you could, you just have to own and just run with it. But previously, like, we've seen it work quite well with, um, once again, I'll bring up Forex Goal, but they, they ran the beach cricket series way back. And, um, you know, that was a great, successful little campaign. Where they where they toured that around um, the country for a couple of years. So, so yeah, I think it can work, but you just got to be prepared to go all in.
1: Crystal ball time. What do you think is coming next in this space in terms of ideas or trends for people to keep an eye on?
0: Really big on the, the B2I, like the, the business to individual marketing. So, you know, in stadium personalization, like we've seen technology advancements, um, you know, overseas and just being able to activate and, and really target those individuals, I think is going to be a big one same thing with the hyper localized targeting from a geographical standpoint you know really mapping out the fan journey on the way to the stadiums like I know a lot of uh, a lot of businesses agencies and, and properties are looking at that now and and really understanding that fan journey and 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 knowing how to engage with them for a longer period of time and I think that's where beacon technology and your whole know, facial recognition and, and things like that are really going to come into play and allow us to measure activations or, you know, those those investments into the physical world a lot a lot better because obviously digital trumps physical space when it comes to metrics, but I, I think I think um, technology will, will allow us to um to really capture some of that critical data to make better decisions and, and better investments moving forward.
1: I think that's some great advice again around that mapping the fans journey towards a stadium or an event and even afterwards as well as marketers we do it all the time with different brands about how people are uh, are moving through certain stages and information to make a decision about a product or a service and I don't know about you Rick but I see a lot of stadiums organizations particularly in this space at the moment not really focusing on that and I think that old saying of if you're just staying the same you're actually moving backwards because your competitors who are vying for the same attention the same share of wallet are actually moving forward with this stuff and connecting with fans much more easily and better. Rick if people would like to get in contact with you and learn more about activating sponsorships and more about make what can they do?
0: they can contact me direct on rick which is just r-i-k at make dot or connect with me on linkedin otherwise um just head to the website uh all the w's.make.com.au
1: outstanding rick conti co-founder and managing director at make thank you so much for taking us inside sponsorship activation
0: appreciate it daniel thanks very much cheers
1: it is clear that physical activations offer so much when executed well and not just around the time period of execution or the event. The good ones create lots of great hype, not just during but after and if planned well, maybe even before as well. Thanks again to Rick. It was much appreciated and there was heaps of great insights and advice for you all to make the most out of physical activations, whether you sit on the right side of the fence or the brand side of the fence. If you want to connect with Rick, just search for Rick Conti on LinkedIn. That's Rick, R-I. and Conti, C-O-N-T-I or head to maake.com.au to learn more about the amazing work that Rick and his team execute. That's a wrap for episode 70 of Inside Sponsorship. I hope you enjoyed the show and just like Nate and Philippe, I love to hear from the listeners and I would love to give you a shout out as well. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email at danielatsponserve.net or on Twitter using the handle at Sponserve. And if you want to connect with Core Software's commercial manager for Australasia, Daniel Ferguson-Hill. You can catch him on daniel.ferguson at Core Software K-O-R-E, software.com or search for him on LinkedIn as well. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for sponsor. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship.
0: Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and
1: to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry specific resources, including blogs, ebooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.